This last summer, uh, we, a bunch of us from Westside, we, it, was, it was an open event to anybody. We hung out in uh, Point Claire Village, and we spent some time at Wild Willies. Have you ever been to, who's been to Wild Willies in Point Claire Village? Yes, and we've done this for a couple of years, and it was super fun, fun time. And so here I was, I got there, and I was uh, going to get in line to order, and Jonathan Hodges says to me, what, what, what flavor are you getting? And I, I don't know, in my head I was thinking like caramel sea salt or something. And so he's like, what? You're not getting Tongo Bongo? And I'm like, what's Tongo Bongo? I've never heard about Tongo Bongo. He's like, Dave, how have you not heard about Tongo Bongo? So I said, tell me about it. So he told me, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm ordering Tongo Bongo. And I ordered this ice cream, and I immediately fell in love. Like, I don't know if you can say that about ice cream, but I'm saying that about ice cream. It was, it was seriously combined all things that I loved, like peanut butter and vanilla and some chocolate, and I don't know what else was in it, but it was all really good, and it just made me fall in love. Now, now it's become my flavor. Like, I'm a loyalist. Whenever I go to Wild Willies, they don't even have to ask me. I'm like, just give me Tongo Bongo. And I was so disappointed the last time we went. We waited 20 minutes in line, a big crowd, you know, in August. And it's like, I want some Tongo Bongo. They said, we ran out 30 minutes ago. I'm like, what am I going to do? What, like, this is my love right here. I can't resist it anymore. And it was just incredible. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever come across something in life that felt irresistible? I mean, even more than ice cream, right? Have you ever come across something in life that you felt or experienced something that you felt was just irresistible? Maybe it was, it was you know, something about a person. Uh, maybe it was an experience. Maybe it's a place that you just like, I just always have to go back there. I can't resist whenever the opportunity comes. Maybe it's an idea and it just, it draws you in or when you experience it, it affects you. And you even overcome obstacles to get to it. Like you will change your schedule or put some money aside or figure out something to do to get to this because it feels irresistible. Well, if we read and when we get acquainted with the early stories and accounts of the church, the early church, they have that kind of irresistible feel to them. You read the Gospels and it's hard not to, to see that, that you know Jesus is kind of automatically pulling crowds around him. Like they just kind of, people are kind of crowding around him. You read through the book of Acts, uh, which was written by one of the gospel writers, Luke, and you can't help but see this dynamic faith that's inside and being lived out by these early followers of Jesus. You read through early church history, and there's this community of Christians that are often causing a stir, not in a necessarily a bad way, but in a way where it's like you, you can't not notice them. And something so beautiful is happening that you can often call it irresistible. And a couple of months ago, or maybe six, five, six months ago, I was doing some reading in some books that I was, you know, just picking up a book here or there. And this word kind of jumped out at me, this irresistible word. And I was reflecting on scripture. And, and it, I, for the last six months, I couldn't get that word out of my head. I was like, you know what? I think we need to start our fall season uh, with this word, with this theme. And, but he, here's the question as we, we kind of jump into start this today. Does what we know or experience as followers of Jesus still excite us? Does what we know as followers of Jesus or does what we experience as followers of Jesus still excite us? 
And I don't ask that question as if something about Jesus changed or something about what faith is meant to be has changed or the core, the core sense of what the church is about because sometimes some truly amazing things can lose their appeal. Sometimes some truly incredible things, and though they might remain true at their core, very amazing, but our relationship to them sometimes changes. Sometimes what's truly amazing, maybe you haven't experienced it, but you've missed it. You haven't seen it. You haven't caught it. You haven't experienced it. In fact, some people, some, somebody, some of you are here today for the first time, and you're thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know if what, who Jesus is or what faith is, if it's really an important thing. You've never come across it in, in that way. Some of you who've come to, to faith in the last couple of years, before coming to faith, probably for several years, you're like, how did I miss this amazing thing? How did I miss who Jesus is and what he's about? And sometimes we miss things that are really amazing. Sometimes it's because we're not looking. Sometimes because we perceive them uh, when we don't perceive its value. Sometimes we haven't heard about it in the right way. So now I'm not so naive to believe that everyone I meet will respond to Jesus. But I can't help but consider that sometimes the Jesus I present to people or the faith I express to people or the community that I live out doesn't reflect the beauty and the power and the heart of what it's really meant to be. And so we're starting a new series today, and we're calling it Irresistible. And the, the, the really the heartbeat of this is that we, just, we pause for the next three, four weeks in September to take a fresh look at Jesus, at faith, and at the church. And then what does that mean for our lives and so I'm, I'm excited to jump into that today. And today we're going to start with this fresh look at Jesus. And I hope in like just one setting we can get a glimpse of that because we're not doing a whole month on Jesus. Although we always talk about Jesus in one way or another, right? Um, so I wanna, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 11. And, uh, and here's this really, really interesting text. And it's, it's already kind of in the middle of, of the story of Jesus, the gospel account of Jesus, according to Matthew. And uh, what we're going to find here, we're going to meet someone named John, John the Baptist. And even if you've never been uh, to church or acquainted with faith, maybe you've heard of John the Baptist. And he's a pretty important figure in the gospel stories. And he was one who, who prepared the way for Jesus, talked a lot about Jesus who was coming. In fact, he's even Jesus' cousin and just an incredible figure. Now, we catch him and find him in a really bad spot. He's actually in prison. And I want to read these few verses uh, of what's going on here as we read this. So here it is, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah... He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Let's just pause and pray. Father, as we just engage this text and this theme today, um, we, just, we surrender um, ourselves to hear from you, to be impacted uh, by your heart, your thoughts, your truth. Uh, may I in any way just not be in the way of what you want to do even. 
And um, so you can be at work here, God, and, and we can respond to that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I mean, you got to imagine John the Baptist. Very, he's very familiar with Jesus. He spent a lot of time preparing Israel and the people on that countryside for Jesus' coming. He assumed the role of the one from the Old Testament that would make a way, prepare the way for the Messiah. He uh, baptized uh, hundreds, hundreds of, of Jews, hundreds of Israelites in preparation for this brand new thing God was doing, his kingdom coming. He had a similar message to Jesus that, you know, to, to really repent and turn around and discover God's kingdom before them. And so John the Baptist, I mean, he, he, was, it was, he, was, he knew what was going on. He was hoping for national repentance and transformation, and, and he expected a lot from Jesus. I mean, he said, like, I'm, I'm unworthy to tie his sandals, and he should increase and I should decrease. And so John was expecting a lot. John said that even though he baptized with water, he said the person who's going to come, he's going to baptize with fire. John's thinking like, what is that going to look like? I don't think it's real fire, but something's going to happen that's pretty wild when Jesus baptizes people. So he wasn't even imagining the Holy Spirit at that time. So John's thinking, this Jesus, he's going to baptize with fire. He's going he's to do a political shakeup because as soon as he hits the scene, I mean, Rome's going to freak out because they're oppressing Israel. Herod, who's this mock king, is going to probably you know, get kind of freak out in his boots and something political is going to happen. This Messiah leadership has to happen in my lifetime. But here's John sitting in prison and he's like, this is not what I expected. And so he asked this question, are you the one who was to come? Are you the one who was, or should I expect someone else? Are you the one who is going to do all this, or should I expect someone else? And Jesus answers in verse 5. I love what he says. He says, the blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed. He tells John, John, let me, he tells his, John's disciples, go back and tell this to John. John, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is what I'm doing. And you know, I have this sense that when you talk like just openly with a friend at work or you have a discussion on social media, most people these days probably are seeing Jesus in the light of politics, are seeing Jesus in the light of some cultural trend, are seeing Jesus in some other way. I think many people are even missing that this is part of what Jesus is about. And yet Jesus in his own words gives us this glimpse of who he is. A Jesus that got people's attention. A Jesus that shook up people's ideas of what a religious leader is. A Jesus who, who, uh, who gave people a, a new and fresh understanding and perspective and insight into who God is. And then Jesus' own words, Jesus' own words tells us what he's about. That the blind receive, are receiving sight, the lame are walking, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And if you go back, backtrack into Matthew's gospel, you can see actually these real events that this has actually happened. And so what I want to do for a moment, I want to say, well, what were people's reactions to this? What was this amazing draw to Jesus? And one of the things that people did when they saw Jesus or their reaction to, us, to him was they were amazed. They were amazed. You cannot read through the Gospels and not notice this word come up, this word amazed. In fact, if you take some time and read through Mark's Gospel, it won't take you more than 15, 20 minutes. You just go in circle every time that word amazed comes up. Because what the Gospel writers are doing, they're helping us see the perception of what others saw when they saw Jesus. 
So here's Jesus teaching, and we're, we're told that when people heard him teach, they were amazed at his teaching. That's the word that's used. When Jesus is dealing with someone who has an impure spirit or an evil spirit or demonic spirit, and Jesus speaks directly to that spirit and that spirit leaves, people are standing back. They're like, this impure spirits obeyed this guy. They're just, they're standing back in amazement. When Jesus would heal people, uh, you know, and the, the parent of a child who's heal, healed or a friend or someone in the neighborhood or someone, you know, in the local spot, all of it, they stand back. They're like, they're amazed at his healings. They're amazed at his miracles. They're amazed at his wisdom. They stand back and say, who is this person with such wisdom? The disciples are on a boat one day and the storm's coming and it's getting hectic and Jesus is sleeping and they wake him up and Jesus is like, what's your problem? And he speaks and he just tells the storm and the wind to stop. And they're like, I'm amazed this guy can tell the wind to stop. Again, they're amazed. When he shares, speaks words and people are watching other people listening to Jesus' words and these people listening to Jesus speak all of a sudden feel that something's going on in their heart. Something's kind of almost ripping them apart. Something's dealing with something deep in their heart. They're, they're, they stand back and say, we're amazed at the conviction of Jesus' words. When people hear him, there's a conviction that takes place and people stand back and they're amazed. One of my favorite places, the gospel writers tell us when Jesus is on trial and Pilate is asking him questions, Pontius Pilate is asking him questions. This is a moment leading up to when he's going to get charged and accused and then leading to the cross. And Jesus says nothing. Jesus says nothing. And the writers tell us that Pilate was amazed at his silence. Pilate stood back amazed that this person wasn't saying a word. Even in his silence, Jesus amazed people. It's incredible when we think about it. There's a colleague of mine, his name is Randy, and he works, uh, he actually leads the, the, the mission organization that we, we support in Turkey and other parts of the world. And he's been all over the place. And he shared this crazy story with me a couple, a little while ago. And I, I might have shared it here, but he, he was in Iraq and he was hanging out with a bunch of Christians that were spending some time together for a few days. And this man came into their meeting and he saw Randy from across the room and he kind of beelined across the room and just went to Randy. And this guy looked broken. He looked like he was burdened. He looked tired. He looked fatigued. And this man was... Uh, a, a Muslim cleric, he was a teacher in Islam, he was a leader in his region, but he had recently been slowly discovering who Jesus is. And he's starting to respond to who Jesus is, but he's in the in-between phase where, where all the baggage of his life before and all the burdens and, and all the, the, the things that, that kind of like held him in bondage, we're, kind of, we're partly still with him. And he goes to speak to Randy and he describes his situation and, and he says, can, you, can we please pray? Can, can I please? I'm looking for some relief because I know that what I'm experiencing is true and I'm starting to follow it, but I still, I feel like a mess. And Randy starts to pray for him and speak to him and proclaim the lordship of Jesus over him. And this man slowly, slowly, almost kind of, falls to the ground and begins to weep. And in like a restful way, just lays on the ground and describing that this weight is being lifted from him, this burden is being taken from him, this bondage is being broken. 
And he starts to experience even more the fullness of Jesus. And Randy spends the next day and a half just walking through the, the scriptures with him to help him connect all these dots of who Jesus is and how to keep growing in him. It's a beautiful story of what happens when people in, encounter Jesus. There's a guy in our church a couple of years ago who got baptized, and he came from a very interesting background, and um, a, a background that when he came to Christ was like a, a complete shift. And, and, and this guy's a strong-willed, Middle Eastern background type of guy. And when you talk to him, you know, you, you, you know there's, there's boldness in him. And he was talking to me this week, and he said to me, Dave, the first two, three gatherings that I came to Westside a few years ago, and it was at this moment where he was just starting to kind of cross that bridge to trusting Christ. He's like, I cried the whole gathering for three weeks in a row. I don't know why I just, and I, you know, and I know it wasn't me, and I know it wasn't whoever was speaking, and I, and yeah, I mean, we know that that's the power of God at work. This guy was, was encountering and growing in his relationship with Christ. It's just standing in amazement of Jesus. People were amazed when they saw Jesus. One of the things that people were amazed of, and here's this next idea, is they were amazed at his authority. That they, there was often this words in the scriptures says that people were, were amazed at the authority of Jesus when he taught. This is so amazing because Jesus, his teaching, his very words were associated with authority. This is really important in a Jewish context because as people would hear teachers of the law and rabbis and other scribes speak and teach, all of a sudden they're saying, wait a second, I sense this incredible authority in Jesus. And they would literally say this, that I don't sense in the teachers of the law. I'm seeing an authority in Jesus' teaching that I do, unlike the teachers of the law. So this shift is happening away from the teachers of the law. This shift of, oh, wait a second. Maybe God is really doing something new. Maybe God is really doing something incredible here. And so these teachers of the law were merely reciting the law. And it did not give them authority to merely recite the law. Jesus is teaching and he's speaking and he's connecting the dots. And people are saying, man, this guy teaches with authority. And there's power and impact that follows with it. And it's this new teaching that comes within the fulfillment of all of God's plans. What made Jesus irresistible was this incredible distinction that people noticed from the teachers of the law and from what has happened before and what was taking place, what we would read through in the Old Testament, to now what was coming. An amazing shift. Now, don't get me wrong. I know some people's theological like eyelids are going up. Wait, what do you mean? What do you, you know, like the Old Testament's important. Yes, it's important. It's vital. It's vitally important for understanding of God and faith and the gospel. And I've taught several times that the gospel is the fulfillment of Israel's story. Too often, in fact, we just say the gospel is like here, believe and be saved, get to heaven, really cool. And we, we miss that it's a, this fulfillment of, of Israel's story. And Jesus comes fulfilling that. It doesn't come out of nowhere. The Old Testament's part of God's story unfolding throughout history. But Jesus, when he comes teaching with this kind of authority that people notice, we sense his life and his words and his action begin to fulfill everything that had happened before them, but is also making this shift. And people are seeing it, and people are noticing it. You and I sometimes do this in ways where we, we're following Jesus and, and, and we'll, we'll read something from the Old Testament that's meant to uh, equip us, help us understand our foundation, help us understand what's, what's coming, and yet we see Jesus moving in fulfillment and sometimes we just kind of want to quote that and live, live in that. 
And it's like, well, wait a second. Jesus is actually fulfilling this, moving us forward. We got to be careful when we do that because when we do that, we're not representing to the world and even ourselves that we're followers of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled, not abolished, but fulfilled all that God spoke before. But consider some of these things. Here's, here's a passage from Hebrews 1. It's one of my favorites to help me understand this. And where the writer of Hebrews says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful what? Word. The word of Jesus. Jesus being called the Logos. His, his teaching, his words came with authority. There's this moment where three of the disciples follow Jesus up to this mountain and Jesus is there present and all of a sudden this kind of glowing light takes place and the, the disciples see Moses and Elijah on either side of Jesus. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's in Matthew 17. And they're looking at this in amazement and this voice, they hear this voice similar to when Jesus is baptized. This voice come down and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then here's what the voice says. Here's what... We're reading this, that God is this voice. God's speaking, right? Listen to him. As soon as God's voice says, listen to him, Moses and Elijah are gone. And who's left? Who are the disciples looking at? Jesus. Listen to him. Read through Paul's teaching to the early church. And as he would talk about the law, my best framework is like, this was training wheels for centuries. But now Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit fills us. And you're meant to ride a bike, not ride training wheels. Something shifts. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. So people were amazed at Jesus' authority. And it made Jesus hard to resist. It made him irresistible. But here's the one last piece that I want to bring to this. And it's, it's this. It's Jesus' his very own ambition. Now, it might seem strange to describe it in this way, but I was looking for an A word, and I think it fits. Um, no, but, but, but it really, it is. It's his ambition. It's his aim. It's his goal. It's his purpose. And Jesus reads his own mission statement in Luke 4, uh, verse 18 to 19. We'll read it together uh, right here. This is Jesus. He's in the temple. He goes into the temple. He opens the scroll of Isaiah. He reads this from the scroll of Isaiah. He closes it, and as he closes it, he said, this, is, this reading has been fulfilled in your hearing in other words like i'm that and so this is what he says the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the lord's favor here's jesus kind of in a, in, in a sense saying this is my ambition this is my aim this is why i've come i've come to do this I've been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sometimes the only message that we get about Jesus is that he came to die for our sins, which is, um, which is true and beautiful. And when I came to faith, Jesus forgave me of my sins and gave me new life. John the Baptist proclaimed that he's the Lamb of God who takes us, takes us in the way of the world. The angel said that call him Jesus because he's going to take away the sin of the people. But listen to Jesus' own words about his ambition, his aim. Give sight to the blind. 
free the prisoner and the oppressed, speak good news to the poor, proclaim God's, the, 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 the year of God's favor. And then think about the stories Jesus shared and the interactions Jesus had with people and the people he stopped with along the road. Think of all that and think of Jesus' ambition here. And this expresses why, people, why Jesus was so irresistible to people. Not just because he said and, and would point to forgiveness in his work on the cross, but because this was his mission. This was his ambition. This is, this is what people saw. And so back to John the Baptist for a second. John is saying, are you really the one to come? Because I'm sitting in a prison. I thought you were going to do X, Y, Z. And Jesus then tells John almost these same words. I mean, they look very similar. And they're all coming out of Isaiah 61. And, and really what's happening, then Jesus is saying, John, look what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. And he's tying it all together. This is part of what I'm doing. And, when he, and you come to that last sentence where Jesus has to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. For Israel, for the Jewish people, there was this 50th year called the year of Jubilee where debts would be released and, and oppression would be stopped and justice would be brought and people would find freedom and forgiveness and joy. There was this joyful forgiveness and reconciliation that was freedom and justice and peace all wrapped up together. And Jesus is saying, this is part of what I'm doing. I want humanity to experience this in me and sometimes we miss the just the real ordinary everyday experiences that people had with Jesus and that made him irresistible that's what he did I love there's one author his name is Frederick Buchner and he he paraphrases what John says so imagine that you know the disciples of John are like Jesus this is what John is asking are you the guy or should we wait for someone else And Buchner paraphrases it this way. You go tell John what you've seen around here. You tell him, okay? Tell him there are people who have sold their seeing eye dogs and taken up bird watching. You tell them that there are people who've traded in aluminum walkers for hiking boots. You tell them that the down and out have turned up, turned into the up and coming and a lot of deadbeats are living it up for the first time in their lives. You go tell John's disciples that because that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm up to. That's what's happening. And is there any, like, wonder why the crowds flock to Jesus? Read Mark 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Read those 10 chapters. And in each of those 10 chapters, you'll find the word crowd. In each of those 10 chapters, you'll find people that are drawn to Jesus. People that found Jesus irresistible. People that found, were amazed at what he did and what he said and his authority and his ambition. So I guess my question for you, and I, I'm gonna, the team can come up slowly as we... Here's the question. Is Jesus irresistible to you? I'll, I'll let you know when you... Maybe you have a couple of minutes. Is Jesus irresistible to you? Think about that. Is Jesus irresistible to you? Is Jesus irresistible to the people around you? Is the way you reflect Jesus to others or the way you tell people about Jesus, is he irresistible to you, to others. See, John asked, are you the one to come? And Jesus says, yes, just not like you expected me to come. Right? Yeah, I am the one to come, but not like you expected it. See, John, as good as John was, as instrumental as he was, as significant as he was, and Jesus honors him. Jesus says, there's no one born of a woman greater than John. No one. No one. But John had a slight perception problem because John, in his 
normal way that he would see things was probably expecting a political shakeup, was probably expecting a messianic campaign, was probably expecting immediate national repentance. But maybe, maybe the reason the Jesus we represent or we present to people, or maybe even the Jesus you believe in, maybe the Jesus you think you believe in isn't irresistible because you and I have made him into our own image. Maybe that happens. And I'm not saying that you don't believe in Jesus if you do. I'm saying it's possible that you also mixed into your belief in Jesus, believe in a version of Jesus that you've created in your own image. And that, in a small way, happened to John. Hey, he's in prison. I get it. But in some way, it's like, wait a second. I thought you were going to do what I wanted you to do. I thought you were going to do it in, in my timeline. I thought you were going to like do this stuff right now. I thought you were going like, to be the messianic leader ASAP. Why is this taking so long? Philip Yancey wrote a, write, wrote a great book. If you've never read it, it's one of those books to read in your lifetime. It's called The Jesus I Never Knew. And his first chapter is The Jesus I Thought I Knew. And he tries to kind of like scrape away all the things that we've put on Jesus, all the pictures and paintings and perceptions to try and get to the heart of it. And he starts this, this introduction of the book and he starts to list a few things. And I found a fun, some of them that I think are really relevant for us. He talks about the religious wars during the 16th century between the French and the English, the Catholics and the Protestants. And there's this quote where the, where the, uh, where the, um, the French uh, or the English say to the French, hey, the Pope is French, but Jesus is English, right? And so what were they doing? They're like, hey, I get you guys have this thing going, but look, Jesus is ours. He's English. And I grew up in an Italian Pentecostal church. Until I was 18, I thought Jesus was Italian and Pentecostal. So... <laughs> I, I understand, you know, the heart behind that. But, but then you have, like, modern academic writers who've, uh, and I'm not, I'm not knocking Italian or Pentecostals, I'm just kind of stating my, my story. But uh, there's been some modern academic books that have told us Jesus is a political revolutionary, that he is a magician who married Mary of Magdalene, that he was a Jewish skeptic, that he was a rabbi, that he was a Pharisee, that he was an anti-Pharisee. That Jesus was um, a, a, what is it, like a hallucinating leader of a mushroom cult. That's, you know, and these are like serious books you can buy. These are like, this is all there. But here's the one that I think will get the most. Norm Evans, he was a lineman for the Miami Dolphins a long time ago. He was a Christian. And he said these words and as he's describing Jesus. He's like, I guarantee you that Christ would be the toughest guy who ever played this game. I picture Jesus as a 6'2", 260-pound defense tackle who always makes big plays and would be hard to keep up with. Well, that's Jesus to him. But what if I'm like the water boy? I think that Jesus is the little skinny guy who gets water for everybody. Like, why? we do that. We make Jesus into our own image. So let me ask you, have you created Jesus in your own image? Is he irresistible or just your favorite color? Is he irresistible or just your favorite ice cream? Is he irresistible or just looks like you or your culture? People love to make Jesus sound and look like them. Conservatives always borrow Jesus to sound like them. And liberals always borrow Jesus to sound like them. And the rich always borrow Jesus to, to qualify their riches. And the poor always borrow Jesus to qualify their, their poverty. And the elite and the non-elite, and the middle class, and the lower class, and whatever spectrum of society. And so sometimes I'm really sympathetic with Gandhi. He wasn't a Christian, 
and he wasn't too fond of Christians. But he said in a variety of ways, he's like, I'm not that interested in Christians, but that Christ they follow, I would love to get to know him better. I'm sympathetic with him because sometimes I don't reflect Jesus to the people around me the way Jesus is Jesus. And that sometimes happens. Um, We're going to move into a moment of communion here, and I want to just encourage you as we start this new series to look at Jesus in fresh ways. Take your gospel, the gospels in your Bible, and read them with just a fresh mind, a fresh heart. He's more irresistible than you realize. He's more beautiful than you realize. He's more wonderful. He's more powerful. And this doesn't mean he's always going to be popular. But we must let Jesus be Jesus. And we must come to know Jesus as Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. You guys can start playing if you'd like. Here's the beautiful thing. Those that saw Jesus as who he was, the New Testament gives them a name. In fact, Jesus started this name. And the name and the label is followers. Those who saw Jesus who he was, those who were attracted to Jesus and drawn to Jesus, those who came uh, close to him and were intrigued by him and then started to follow him, the New Testament gave them this word followers. They followed Jesus. They, they listened to him. They learned from him. They, 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 tried to, they, they then put their lives in alignment with his. Yes, they trusted him, put their faith in him. They took his words as authoritative and said, if he's the guy with the authority, I'm going to trust what he said. I'm going to do what he says and trust that as I do it, it's, he promises me life to the fullest. And so if he promises me life to the fullest, I'm going to follow his words. I'm going to follow his teachings. I'm going, to, I'm going to do what he says. And that obviously includes belief and it includes faith, but it includes obeying his leadership. And when they did that, they found life to the fullest. When they did that, they found life to the fullest. The life that Jesus promised that he came to give us life to the fullest. So as we, we come today um, to the start of this series, but this focus on Jesus, Oh, my prayer for us is that we would just, we would ask God in these next, just this next moment, that we would ask God to give us fresh eyes, fresh eyes to see, fresh ears to hear. Let's just take this moment right now and just give you a moment to be, in a sense, one-on-one with God and to ask, them, ask Him this. To invite him to help you clear away the, the pictures or perceptions, the cultural baggage, the things that have clouded your view, and ask him to make space in your mind and your heart to see Jesus as Jesus is. Take a moment and talk to God about that. God, as we participate in this today, may we be reminded of the beauty and power and life of Jesus. May we, be, may we stand amazed, not only in this one act, but in all of who he was and said and did. And God, may we be a people 
who reflect that to the world around us. Let's take the wine together. Amen. Amen. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. We shall lack nothing. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our souls. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though we walk in the darkest valleys, we shall fear no evil for he is with us. He'll prepare a table before our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. We shall dwell, we long to dwell in his presence, in his house forever. Amen. God bless you, everyone.